On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Well, welcome to all of you listening today. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the moderator of Current Issues in the Constitution. And today with me on the line is uh, Professor Wilson, who is going to be uh, answering some questions uh, to begin with before we get started with this broadcast. Uh, we've been receiving some great uh, listener uh, questions, and I, I just want to give a shout out uh, to Tara, who has been doing that from Fort Myers. So. Uh, Woody, you have those in front of you. I have little techie difficulties today, so um, I can't get to that screen, but you've got them. I, I emailed them to you. So if you could, Woody, uh, please read uh, the question, and, and then we'd be happy to hear what you have to say in response. Okay. Thank you, Felice. Uh, to begin with, uh, Tara's question is actually five or six questions, and and um, let's let's address them one at a time sometimes with opinions, sometimes with definitive answers. First one, if the House drafts articles of impeachment, and everybody, all of you know that the House of Representatives is given the power of impeachment by a simple majority vote. We looked at that in the Constitution. And they impeach Obama, but when it goes to the Senate, they do not find him guilty. The Senate conducts the trial. It takes a two-thirds vote to convict. In that case, does double jeopardy apply? That is, can the articles of impeachment be amended, added to, resubmitted, and voted on again in the House and sent back uh, to the Senate again? Now, this is totally unprecedented. It has never happened before. There is no uh, clearly discernible specific language in the Constitution, but in Amendment 5, there is the clause that a citizen, and Obama is a citizen, cannot be tried twice for the uh, same crime. So mm -hmm. I have no doubt, uh, and this is a very strong opinion, that that principle would be applied to an impeachment trial. Uh, there are all kinds of, of courts and uh, hearings and ways of conducting questions of innocent or guilt, and impeachment is one of them uh, that deals with the president or a member of the Supreme Court, as a matter of fact, uh, vice president could be impeached and so on. So, yes, I think that double jeopardy would apply. So if the House should um, draft articles of impeachment, and they have to be very specific, and submit it, and the Senate uh, doesn't find him guilty, they could not try him again for anything in those articles of impeachment. But if he does something else that is impeachable, that is not mentioned in the first attempt, then he could be impeached again and sent to trial in the Senate again. 
but not for any of the reasons in the first case. That is my opinion. Now, I don't think there's any question that there are impeachable offenses out there against Obama, particularly executive orders that change the law. And when he tells the Department of Immigration and Naturalization and the Drug Enforcement Agency not to enforce laws passed by Congress prior to his administration, both in both of those cases you could find several more specific examples of impeachable behavior by this president. And I've said before, and it's a political thing, I have no doubt Republicans do not want to go there because there's an election coming up, and it would, there would be a tremendous backlash if they did that. In fact, it might ruin their chances to take the Senate, might ruin their chances in 2016. I have doubts that the House of Representatives, even though it's in Republican hands, will ever impeach this president. Not much talk about it out there either. Some, but not much. Okay, the second part of that question is this. If the evidence clearly shows impeachable offenses, but the Senate still votes not to find a president guilty, is there any remedy by the people or in the courts for their failure to follow the clear rule of law and standards of guilt and innocence? Sorry, there is not. When a court rules, that's it. There's an appeals process. Um, you can go to the Supreme Court, but you can't do with that do that with impeachment. The Constitution does not provide for that. The only remedy is to wait for the next election. Now, that's the only remedy that exists clear-cut right now. So uh, another question that follows on that one is, is if they do, referring to the Senate, and don't find a president guilty, what then other than voting all those who find him not guilty out, what can the people do? Um, and again, really, nothing at all except wait for the next election. There's no other provision for that. Moving on, if not possible, um, okay, um, also, is there a general recall provision of a senator or representative, or is that a state-by-state -state thing? Uh, recall is something that started back in the progressive era. Um, up in Wisconsin, they were the first... Uh, state to pass recall for governors and, and other state officials, uh, but no state did or has ever passed, attempted to pass a, a recall legislation. Now, a recall means that, you know, if you get enough signatures on, on a petition in Wisconsin or in your state, if your state has recall, uh, then an election is set up and the governor is revoted upon. Uh, no state has ever done that for a senator or a member of the House of Representatives. So, it, yes, it is a state-by-state -state thing. And it goes on, if there is or even if it is a state thing, what is the way this could be done? Well, there's only two ways that it could be done. And one would be to amend the Constitution, um, you know, pro providing uh, recall of uh, members of Congress by the people of a state. In fact, that is really the only way I can think of that it could be done. You could appeal to the United States Senate to expel um, the the individual, and you could you could try to get that vote uh, from his fellow members of the Senate or of the House. So that would be a second way to go about it, and that's probably more doable 
the amending the Constitution. I cannot imagine members of Congress proposing a constitutional amendment that could put their their uh, careers as professional politicians in jeopardy. So that's probably not going to happen. And getting the Senate to do that uh, to a member, you would have to have basically essentially criminal charges uh, before it would ever happen. Now let's take a look at that uh, very quickly. If you turn in your constitutions to Article 1, Section 5. Okay, let's read uh, articles, uh, excuse me, clauses 1 and 2, and then we'll come back to it. Each house shall be the judges, the judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members. And a majority of each shall constitute a quorum and so on. But that first part is the operative part. In the second clause, each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two-thirds vote, expel a member. So they can throw them out with a two-thirds vote. And that has happened, uh, but very, very rarely. And this really is the only way that the Constitution provides that a member of the House or the Senate can be expelled from the House or the Senate. Now, there's been a recent case. Uh, in fact, there are, I have seen several websites over the last few years that where people are demanding the recall of members of the United States Congress, but it's never been a, a permissible again because of the stipulations in the Constitution. And that's because the U.S. Constitution sets qualifications and terms, as we see in Clause 1, for being a member of the House or the Senate. And changing those qualifications or terms, like in making them subject to a recall, is would be unconstitutional. And it would, as I said, require a constitutional amendment. Now, recently, in 1995, the legislature of Arkansas passed a law that basically limited, limited the terms of their congressmen, both representatives and senators. Uh, they, wanted, they wanted, basically, they were trying to get some people out of office. You know, once you're in there for a while, it's very, very difficult to remove an incumbent. So they passed the law that would limit a representative to three terms and a senator to two terms. So uh, a, a group called U.S. Term Limits Incorporated uh, came together and uh, went to the Arkansas Supreme Court, and the Arkansas Supreme Court overturned the law. Here's a quote, the operative quote from Justice Robert L. Brown. If there is one watchword for representation of the various states in Congress, it is uniformity. Federal legislators speak to national issues that affect the citizens of every state. The uniformity and qualifications mandated in Article 1, Section 5, Clauses 1 and 2, provide the tenor and the fabric for representation in the Congress. Piecemeal restrictions by state would fly in the face of that order. So it is for term limits, so it would be for a recall. And when he says the tenor and the fabric, if you look at uh, Articles 1 and 2 together, um, then basically you interpret that to mean that a recall would basically be unconstitutional. 
Well, the Attorney General of Arkansas was ordered by the governor to submit this to federal review. It gets to the United States Supreme Court. And in 1995, the United States Supreme Court, by a vote of five to four, upheld the Arkansas Supreme Court's decision. The operative quote here is from Justice Clarence Thomas, who says this, In keeping with the complexity of our federal system, once the representatives chosen by the people of each state assemble in Congress, they form a national body and are beyond the control of the individual states until the next election. So, a candidate running for the Senate in any state is basically the property of the state until he is elected. Now he is the property of the national government. And states cannot touch that, according to the United States Supreme Court. But keep in mind, and um, you know, if you're really interested in this, you might want to go to OYEZ, O-Y-E-Z, and uh, do some research. All the material, all the briefs, the Supreme Court's opinions, and so on are there. And look at the dissenting opinion. The, the vote was five to four. Four dissenters found cause to support the law that Arkansas passed. I think you would find it interesting to find out what their rationale is. So in, in researching this and in developing those dissenting opinions, it could be that citizens could come up with another alternative to deal with senators and representatives who are not properly representing them. Arkansas's, the problem with Arkansas's law is this. Like, we have a um, representative in my district that I like very much, and he has had three terms, and I'd like to see him have three more and then three more. He is representing me quite nicely. I would not be happy if West Virginia passed a law limiting his term uh, to three, his time in office to three terms. I would be very unhappy with that. And some of the justices um, in U.S. Term Limits versus uh, Thornton is called U.S. Term Limits Incorporated versus Thornton, 1995, if you want to look that up. Um, they're basi basically uh, saying that the people choose the senators, the people not the state legislature, not the governor. The people choose representatives, and they have the right to choose what they want. And no state could take that away. But in recall, you would have a vote of the people to recall. So it would be the people's decision. And you will find that in the dissenting opinions. So 18 states now have recall for state officials. That's not very many. And not, it's very difficult to get a state to pass recall legislation because uh, the people that pass it are putting themselves, uh, are making themselves subject to recall within the state. So it's very difficult to get this kind of thing passed. But that's essentially where it stands. On the impeachment issue, um, it's probably a dead duck, even though there are impeachable offenses. And on the recall thing, um, while that is probably more possible, it would take an awful lot of work, and it would take a very big group of people uh, to put this thing together and get it passed within each state. 
and passed in such a way with language written in such a way that it could pass muster in the United States Supreme Court, especially in view of this uh, Arkansas decision, U.S. Term Limits versus Thornton. So I hope I've answered that, but if I've been unclear on anything, certainly a follow-up question from uh, the questioner would be in order. Okay, great. Very good. Let's see here. Um, it's, it's taking its time to refresh. Here we go. Um, okay. So um, Tar asked if we're we're also taking questions um, in the chat room or in the Q and A. You can you can ask them there. But Tara posted it here in the chat. She says, "I know that if the GOP takes the Senate, that Mitch McConnell is seen as the heir apparent as a Senate Majority Leader. Is there any historical precedence that would give us any uh, home that someone else could take over this role?" Oh I yeah, that. They've Go ahead. It is not uncommon um, for a Speaker of the House to be voted out, a majority leader to be voted out. I think I, I know from from what I'm hearing senators say over the last couple of years, especially recently, if the Republicans should take the House in the 2016 election, and they have a strong chance of doing so, there would be uh, the Republicans uh, in the new Senate would go into caucus and they would choose their majority leader. And there would be a very uh, strong group that would oppose the election of Mitch McConnell to that position. So it would be an interesting fight within the party, and both parties do this. So every time, I mean, Mitch, Mitch McConnell is the majority leader of the Republican Party right now in the Senate because he was elected to do so, and that can change, and it has changed, both in the House and in the Senate. Good question. Yeah, she said, I know they vote on this position, but it sure seems as though there's a seniority expectation which flies in the face of the founder's position um, of people serving for a limited time in the government. True. True. As a matter of fact, um, I was just reading the other day, the Founding Fathers um, imposed term limits on the president. No, they didn't either. No, they didn't. We did that by amendment, the 22nd Amendment. Um, they did put term, term limits on congressmen insofar as their terms do have a beginning and an end and they have to face re-election. But uh, I was reading uh, the comments of James Madison, and it was his opinion that Specific uh, terms, term limits in terms of time in office, like limited to 12 years or something like that, wasn't necessary because in those days there wasn't much of anybody that wanted to spend a whole lot of time going to Philadelphia or New York or Washington, D.C. to represent their state because they had uh, businesses and they had, um, had uh, ranches and and their own concerns back home, and Madison didn't think that it, um, there was anybody that really would want to spend their entire career in Washington, D.C. I mean, these guys were from South Carolina and Virginia and, uh, and Massachusetts. That's where their homes were, and it took a long time to get there and back. So I don't think he anticipated uh, the system that we have come up today, the transportation system for one thing, and the fact that we pay them so much money 
and uh, great benefits and so on and so forth. And but he did he did understand if you read uh, Federalist Paper number fifty one that men are not to be trusted with power. So it's it's kind of um, well you you just you would think that that he would believing that that men can't be trusted with power then you limit their power. Mm-hmm. Well, he trusted the people to do that on election day, and he trusted, like I said, the the dynamics of the geographic situation that people would not want to be professional members of Congress, professional politicians. But times change, things change, and uh, back then Madison and his friends could not see the future. future. If they could have, I am sure they would have put term limits both for congressmen and for the presidency. But, alas, it was not done. Yeah. Uh, Tara said that she was, what do you think about the amendment to extend the time of the representatives to four years from two years, since fewer people seem to want to return to their regular jobs and they spend a great deal of time just going from one campaign to the next? Um, that That is something to think about. Um, quite possible, but I would like to see that combined with uh, term limits, like uh, two terms and you're done, or three. Uh, maybe I would like to see that. Maybe I wouldn't, because it would mean that I would lose my guy, uh, Representative McKinley of Northern West Virginia, and I wouldn't want to lose him because of the quality of his representation. But um, I would like to see. I've always thought that there should be term limits. The Senate and the House senators get two. Uh, six-year terms, and come to think of it, uh, part of that was that, in my thinking, representatives would get three four-year terms. And that would give you continuity in government as you are returning incumbents to office and you can go on with business. Uh, You don't have to, you know, without changing the entire House or Senate, uh, that could be a real mess when Congress opens on January the 1st. But I, I would like to see it changed. And, you know, even though I would lose my representative, I think term limits are in order. There are some people in Congress right now that, um, my, I tell you what, that's just their life. And it was not meant, the constitutional system of democracy was not set up so that professional career politicians could live on public welfare, essentially, and mm-hmm. remain in that position forever and ever and ever. It was not meant to be that way. Yeah. Not okay, Woody, let's go ahead and take a break. And I wanted to um, talk about the American government class that we taught. So let's just uh, listen to that commercial for a minute. And then okay. when we come back, I'll let you pick up with um, the last part of the Agenda 21. Uh, hopefully the last part. <laughs> okay. The ongoing saga. <laughs> right. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, 
this AP-level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Well, I think that's timely with the upcoming elections. If you want a really good American government uh, and elections class, that is um, highly recommended. My kids took that class and really enjoyed it, and uh, they're actually revisiting the American history class as well. There's just so much information there that, um, you know, it's not surprising that they wanted to listen to it again. Woody, uh, we have been talking about um, Agenda 21, and you've been going through each of the parts with uh, some information. So I'm going to let you um, take the mic, if you will, and then if I have any questions, I will um, interrupt you <laughs> and ask them. Do that, please. Okay. All righty. Okay. Um, Agenda 21, as we've discussed and uh, briefly in review, uh, it is a United Nations program to establish a one-world government and take complete control of all of the land on Earth and everything on the land, including human beings. Uh, ICLE is their military arm, so to speak. No, not they're not military at all. They are basically the agency whose job it is to carry out Agenda 21 in America. They won't go to Congress for a treaty. They call it soft law, and they go to the towns and the cities and the counties and the cities and towns and counties. And, you know, a democratic society, you can't object to this legally at least. Um, if my city wanted to adopt uh, Agenda 21 or any part of Agenda 21 and work with ICLEI, um in terms of getting federal grants and private grants and funding in the United States um, Congress bu congressional budget um, and begin to implement plans for land use, and just about anything comes under land use, uh, then my city would have the right to do that, the freedom to do that. And it would be up to the people to rebel and rise up and say, no, we do not want to go there. Even though the money is very attractive and very tempting, we do not want to give up our sovereignty. The problem is, in a lot of areas, like here in my county, nobody has ever heard of Agenda 21. I recently uh, was a director of the Regional Social Studies Fair. We had eight counties and 200 students uh, with projects to be judged and first place winners to be sent on to state. Well, I rounded up 48 citizens of Wood County, quality people, many of them very highly educated, to be the judges of those of those projects. And judges work in pairs, by the way. And so wherever I go, whenever I'm in front of people, I mention Agenda 21, and I always ask, raise your hand if you've heard Agenda 21. And I used uh, Agenda 21 as an example of an essential question that students have to have um, in their abstracts. And and so I used it as an example because I wanted to mention it. And I asked how many of you have heard of Agenda 21, and three hands went up of the 46. And the three hands that went up were members of my group. Nobody else had ever heard of Agenda 21. 
So when I was finished using that as an example for what to look for in essential questions, because it's the big thing that, that kills a project. It's that one thing. They write the questions wrong. Uh, so after using that as an example, I said, um, if you've never heard of Agenda 21, uh, go to your computer and start researching and find out. I said, you will be shocked, you will be appalled, you will be frightened. And after a while of digesting the information you find, you will become angry. I did the same thing last night with the Board of Education uh, in terms of we, are, we have found curriculum that in Wood County, here in our county, that is clearly Agenda 21 aligned. And our kids, beginning in third grade, are being indoctrinated, which is indoctrinated is a nice word for brainwashed, to accept the principles of government, economics, and social life that are necessary for the total implementation of Agenda 21. These guys are in no hurry. End of the century is fine with them. Slowly but surely taking control. And one of the things they're doing is influencing. And I told the Board of Education last night that that um, these things are that I'm talking about in the curriculum, the ide ideologically biased material in the curriculum, is perfectly aligned with Agenda 21. And they gave me those blank looks. And I said, if you have not heard of UN, United Nations Agenda 21, as representatives of the public, you might want to take a look at that because it's here. There's a city, um, a small city, uh, an hour and a half away from me here in West Virginia that has already invited Ickley into their county. So we're going to see, see what's going to happen there. So words to look for, again, in your community, because they're there. They are there someplace on some level. Look for If you see words coming out of your mayor's mouth or the city council or your county commission, whatever you call them, if you hear these words, uh, that to you should be a red flag to get involved. Go to the next city council meeting and stand up and in very passionate terms denounce Agenda 21 and ICLEI, the media will be there, and an article will be in the paper the next day. And people will therefore begin their education in what Agenda 21 is and what its threats can be to your way of life in your county, in your city. So these words, look for them. Uh, you know, scan the local newspapers. Sustainable development, social justice, smart growth, climate change, Resilient communities. By the way, um, uh, when I get time, uh, probably this weekend, I'm going to put all of my notes together in a logical format and send it to Felice, and she will send it out to you. Major goals of Agenda 21, promote global warming theory. Look for that in the news. Transfer wealth from developed nations to third world nations. Control of education and child care. The total elimination of private property. Elimination of CO2 emissions, energy, automobiles, sustainable energy, populations control, wildlife control. And finally, replacing freedom individualism and individualism with commutarianism. And ICLEI is the arm that is designed to carry that out. 
I think the last time we talked, if you go to the uh, ICLEI website, you'll find out at the bottom a survey for elected officials on climate preparedness. So they're basically recruiting um, councilmen and mayors and, and other people elected on uh, a county or city level. Uh, they're not going to the states and they're not going to Congress. They're going to the towns and the cities. So this is a whole life plan, really. It involves the Edu educational system, as we've seen, the energy market, transportation, government, health care, food production, just about anything you can think of is going to come under control of this world body called the United Nations. And remember, the United Nations is not some foreign thing. The United States is the leader. And the ambassador, Susan Rice, to the United Nations right now I'm assuming she's still in that position, is a disciple of Agenda 21. So is the President of the United States. And if you take a look at the policies that he has advocated and the policies that he has implemented with executive orders, they are perfectly aligned with the goals of Agenda 21. So if you understand the goals of Agenda 21, uh, you'll know when your President or your Mayor or your Governor is doing anything to support it. In the last election, I voted for Mitt Romney. I supported him. I campaigned for him. I sent money to his campaign um, office. I put a sign in my yard, Romney and Ryan. I put a bumper sticker. And then I find out just a couple of months ago that he supports Agenda 21. Boy. I tell you, that was an emotional crisis for me. I've also learned that Jeb Bush, uh, who is being touted as a presidential candidate, a moderate Republican, and his father, George Herbert Walker Bush, both support Agenda 21, as does Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. So if you get a vote in 2016, let's say, I mean, this is you know far off in the distance, but if by chance, it was Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush, you lose. The winner will support Agenda 21. So, this is a threat uh, to our way of life without question. In fact, it's a greater th threat than was 9-11, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, and it needs to be stopped, and the people that are going to stop it are you and me. It's going to take the people. Now, methods of implementation, how are they doing this? So listen as I go through these kind of quickly. You're going to get this material, and you can spend more time on it. Uh, listen and ask yourself, are these things happening? One of the ways that they're doing is by what's called the Delphi technique, where they're using online technology to uh, get opinions of experts uh, in various aspects of the Agenda, agenda 21 agenda, um, about particular issues. They uh, basically email them, I suppose, or they set up uh, something like what we're doing right now, and these experts send in their opinion. And then the managers, the people who are carrying out the agenda, can take parts of those comments and manufacture a consensus. Now, if you put all the experts together in one room and left them there for three or four days, they would give you one consensus, theirs. But you can take their opinions and, and play around with them and manufacture a consensus. So that's one of the things they're doing. Secondly, 
they're infiltrating community groups or actually starting neighborhood associations with hand-picked leaders. A few years ago, we heard the name of the group called ACORN. They're still out there. And uh, they are pursuing Agenda 21. They've changed their names. Every state, they go by a different name, but they're out there in the communities promoting Agenda 21. And I think you could say that, without question, they're working for Barack Obama. Thirdly, they're recruiting, grooming, and training future candidates for local offices, as we see on the ICLEI website. They are sponsoring non-governmental groups that go into schools and train children. And I'm sure that that's happened in more liberal states. I'm pretty sure that it has not happened in my state. Uh, you might want to see if you can find out if it has happened in yours in the public schools. They offer federal and private grants and funding for city programs that further the agenda. We talked about that. They're educating a new generation of land use planners to require new urbanism. I, I found out that in a local office here, it's called RESA 5, Regional Education Services Administration. They have a class going on, and it's a very popular class, in what's called waste management. And I've got a very strong feeling that this is connected to Agenda 21. And there are a lot of people that are taking this class, and then they can get a job being waste management specialist with even a high school degree. Uh, they can do this. So this is another way of recruiting soldiers in the effort to implement the entire thing. And lastly, to allow unregulated immigration. Now think of uh, President Obama telling the De Department of Naturalization and Immigration to not enforce border control. So allowing unregulated immigration in order to lower standards of living and drain local resources. And that's probably the greatest uh, reason that we should secure our borders. The more people that come here illegally, the more money they drain uh, from government services, the higher taxes are going to be for us, the lower will our standards of living will decline, and quality of life and so on. So these are techniques that are being used to implement Agenda 21 in America. And like I said, you'll get this stuff and you can uh, do further research. Uh, we've already said that Obama has um, made three executive orders uh, implementing material that are, are in support of Agenda 21. For example, uh, his 86th executive order on June 9th last year, established what's called the White House Rural Council. And it seems to be in line with uh, Agenda 21 as it is designed to begin taking control over almost all aspects of the lives of 16% of the American people who live in rural areas. So this is the beginning. The federal government cannot do that. The federal government cannot, well, they can, Congress can set aside line, uh, uh, land for uh, public use, like uh, Yosemite, for example, or Yellowstone, or the Grand Canyon, national parks, and so on. They can do that. The president cannot do it by executive order, but he did. Impeachable offense, without question. Uh, so with this executive order from one man, a basic dictator, the federal government will, be con will begin control of all 
rural areas, rural, according to their definition. And approximately 16% of the American people, that's uh, what, let's see, that's 48 million people live in rural areas. And they're about to come under control of government agencies that in essence and appearing innocently are carrying out one arm of Agenda 21. So look for that in your area. The good news is there is opposition growing in America to Agenda 21 during the last 10 years or so. Opposition has increased within the United States to local, state, and federal levels. The Republican National Committee, as a matter of fact, in 2012, and I did not know this. Somehow it went right by me. I look at the Republican Party platform, but the National Committee adopts a resolution opposing Agenda 21. The Republican platform actually stated, and I missed this, shame on me for being asleep, but, but nonetheless, the Republican Party platform said, we strongly reject the United Nations Agenda 21 as erosive to American sovereignty. So it's good to know that a very strong organization in America has publicly opposed Agenda 21. And I do remember that during the entire command, uh, campaign, I never once heard Mitt Romney mention Agenda 21 for it or against it. He did not campaign on this portion of his party's plat platform, and now I know why. Since then, several state and local governments have considered or passed motions, resolutions, legislation opposing Agenda 21. Alabama was the first. My state hasn't done it. Has yours? Alabama was the first state to prohibit government participation in Agenda 21. So counties, cities may not participate in anything Agenda 21 in Alabama. Many other states, including Arizona, are right now drafting and close to passing legislation to ban Agenda 21. And my group is one of several groups in West Virginia that are lobbying uh, to get this resolution passed in West Virginia. And going on, uh, right now there are 10 states that have kind of interesting, this geographical phenomenon here. They're all western states, all west of the Mississippi. Ten states have passed in their legislatures resolutions in various language opposing Agenda 21. Now listen to these states. Wyoming, Montana, Minnesota, Washington, Oklahoma, Iowa, Texas, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Arkansas. And you can add those states to Alabama. So we have 11 states so far that have passed such resolutions. Very hopeful. And I have done a little bit of research, haven't had time to really get in depth. Why the western states? Why not the eastern states? Why not the northeast? Uh, why not the southeast? Why the western states? Probably because land use and Environmental Protection Agency and other uh, Department of Energy, Department of Interior, have probably been very busy and very engaged in the affairs of the western states in terms of land use, sustainable land use. And as the federal government comes in with these new programs and policies and controls, 
the people of the states gradually wake up. They begin to realize what's going on. Somebody discovers Agenda 21. It is made public uh, throughout the state. Uh, the people listen. The people are shocked, appalled, and frightened, and then they are angry, and they rise up in opposition. And hopefully this will be happening in my state within the next two or three years. It takes a while to get the momentum necessary to pass this kind of stuff. Other good news is we find um, I have a poll here. I'm not seeing, I think it was a Pew Research Center. It says, what kind of priority do you think Obama and the Congress should give to? And it lists several issues. And the people responded in this order. The highest, the biggest, their biggest concern they, that they want the government to work on is the economy. Second is reducing federal spending, the national debt, the uh, budget deficit. Third, restructuring the federal tax system. Got a large response. Enacting stricter gun control laws. Um, basically, uh, 32%. Uh, so that's a long way from a majority. Slowing the rate of growth and spending on Medicare and Social Security, addressing gun violence, addressing immigration issues, and last and least, addressing global warming, also known as climate change, which, as you know now, is the tip of the spear of Agenda 21. The American people do not think that is important, so apparently the American people do not take global warming and climate change seriously. That, my friends, is very encouraging. But what is a little bit discouraging, and we can change this, a two, June 2012 poll, that's what, a, a year and a half ago, a poll of American voters by the American Planning Association found that 9% of the American people support Agenda 21. 6% oppose it. And this is the discouraging part. 85% said they didn't have enough information to form an opinion. In other words, 85% of the American people don't know what Agenda 21 is. So I, you know, I personally uh, would like to see members of Congress and the next president and people in the media to start educating the people of America about Agenda 21. Uh, this this plan of action, to use the words of Barack Obama, will fundamentally change America and the way Americans live. 85% have no knowledge of it. So I have been very busy wherever I go. I've talked to many people. I've talked to some groups. And I hope you will do the same. Um, I have written a letter to the editor that hasn't been accepted yet. They must be Agenda 21 advocates. And I need to call them and find them what, what's going on. You can do the same thing. Letters to the editor. Just begin with a sentence. Do you know what Agenda 21 is? And then give them the uh, give them the main points. Go to the city council meeting. Go to board of education meetings. And ask. You can go in there and sign up to speak. They'll give you five minutes. That's probably or maybe in your state even more. But that's you can do that. Whole families could go in together. That would uh, be more powerful and do a presentation together. So find ways to get the word out 
in your communities, in your towns and cities, that a real threat to the American way of life is currently active and being implemented in the United States of America. And let's put a stop to it. Well, I'll get busy this weekend and uh, try to make my notes uh, seem a little bit intelligible. And I'll send it <laughs> to Felice, and she will send it out to you. Oh, good. I'm glad to get those notes from you, Woody, because I um, posted in the, in the chat room that um, my notes are all over the place. So <clears throat> I would like to have them more organized, and that would be great. Uh, just interesting here, as you were talking, um, Arola said they were just told recently that uh, they're trying to do away with property taxes and making it so that no one owns their own property in her area. And she's in Missouri. She said, I said, you know, who who told you this? And she said it is a charter that they are trying to push here in our town. We are to vote on the sixth. The charter is really scary. They have some things that we really need, but the rest is very bad. And she and I said, well, what are, what are your neighbors saying about this? And she said, none of those who really have read the charter want it, but those um, they don't want the higher taxes. That's what they're being threatened with. You know, they don't want to pay higher taxes. So the ones that don't want higher taxes will vote for it. So have you heard of any of these, um, you know, it sounds like a referendum that they're trying to pass in, in their towns. Does that sound like an Agenda 21 thing if they're oh, trying to abolish? Absolutely. And we're saying that the people that live in the town give up their land, that it becomes the yeah. property of the county? Is that horrible? That they would want to do that is, property taxes. That, okay, that is unthinkable, number one, uh, in in America. Uh, individualism and, and, and freedom and, and the right to own property is basically sacred and has been in place since Jamestown in 1607 uh, in America. It's unthinkable. But then again, if you if the people are ignorant and uninformed and uneducated and they vote for this thing just because it will eliminate property taxes, that's the tactic they're using to get the thing passed. And once it's passed, then you have the implementation of the part where people be, are find that they have lost their property. That is definitely Agenda 21. And... Um, People in that community need to get very loud and very vocal and make sure that the voters in this town, it is a town, right? Yes, it's in um, Missouri. What what uh, city are you in, if you would put that in there? And how big is it? What's the population? Yeah, and if you know the population, let us know that. Yeah, that that's very, very alarming. Okay, if this if this were my small city, um, myself and several other friends would be all over the place. We would go to Lions Club meetings. We would go to Kiwanis. We would try to get in the schools. We would go to city council, county commission, letters to the editor. We would raise red flags all over the city. And I urge that this family be part of doing the same thing in that Missouri town. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> once that charter passes, they've got you. Yeah. And I wonder she how many said, other towns this is happening in. She said it's called West Plains, and she said she doesn't know how many people are in West Plains. So, 
either. Well, the smaller the town, the smaller. What I was thinking is, the smaller the town, uh, the easier it is to get the word out and get it get it defeated, and demand that the city council, if that's who passed it, uh, modify it to take out that section. Yeah, well, let's cut the taxes, but let's also get rid of the loss of land ownership and anything else that's objectionable to American to the sovereignty of the American people. By all means, you've got to take action. you got to. I mean, so uh, one of the things that Madison, Jefferson, and Hamilton and, and other founding fathers were really afraid of was, was power. Uh, like Madison said, and speaking of checks and balances, separation of powers, if men were angels, these internal controls would not be necessary. But men are tyrants, and they are not to be trusted with power. And... Um, you know, as long as human beings have been on the planet and as long as they will be on the planet, there will be people in national governments, local governments, United Nations, who want to expand power. That's what they live for. They are in the government, and that's what governments do. It is a natural tendency for government to gain ground and for liberty to yield. And we're hap- it's happening in West Plains, Missouri and many other places as well. And it's up to the people to oppose it and stop it. How about a mass demonstration in the center of the town? Get the people out. Get loudspeakers set up and educate them. Get a parade permit and set set up that community meeting and attract people there and tell them what's going on in this charter proposal. Goodness. Yeah, and it's a, a town of about twelve thousand. I just searched online, so it shouldn't shouldn't be hard to get the word out and persuade people. Yeah, Tara made and a edu- really good point. Them. She said it, it's um, she said only people who are property owners should be allowed to vote. <laughs> I agree. Well, exactly, because all yeah. the people that don't own property are are, are or are renters would. They don't well, care. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure that they would care one way or the other, would they? Because they don't pay property tax. Yeah, I mean, they should care, but it's still, um, yeah. She said, um, why should there need to be a choice? Vote out the high taxes and the land grab. Most must go. So I agree. Right. You know, it shouldn't, shouldn't yeah, be once, a, uh, once it Once yeah. any government, whether local, state, or, or federal, passes a law like that, and once it's passed and implemented, you've got to wonder what's coming next. That's one of my right. big problems with Common Core Standards. Okay, they're in West Virginia. A couple of years from now, what what's the next thing that we're going to be required to do? Since we've right. accepted it and we've accepted the money, now what are you going to require us to do? You're going to tell us what curriculum to use? And is it going to be loaded up as it already is with Agenda 21 propaganda? You know, what's coming next? So I sort of say to all these people, I even say to the state bureaucracy along with the feds, and the Common Core people, stay out of my county, stay out of my city, stay out of my schools. This is not your business. This is our business. Popular sovereignty, not yours. Right. And another good point here in the chat room, it said renters wouldn't want it because that means their their rent's going to go up to pay for the higher taxes, which is you know, which is true. Well, the good news is we have again this wonderful session uh, weekly, Woody. So thank you so much for coming on and getting us fired up and 
yes, we need to be paying attention to what's going on and be on our knees um, and just pray for um, pray for our country. And uh, definitely would like an update next week. Um, let us know, Arilla, you know, what's happening there and, and how it went. And we'll, you know, definitely it's, um, you know, politics in action here. So, you know, just keep us up to date. Well, that's it for our, our session today, Woody, and I look forward uh, to next week uh, when we'll be um, tackling some more of these issues. As will I, and as I said, I will send you that material uh, as soon as I can get it organized. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.